Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. Let's open this morning as we prepare to hear God's Word to Romans chapter 10. As we do, I just want to draw your attention to a few things in the bulletin that are coming up. Uh, the Ladies' Day of Discipleship is this coming Saturday in six days, and that is um, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, meals are covered. There'll be speakers. Our own ladies will be presenting things that day. Child care is provided all day. We just ask that you sign up by tomorrow. You can sign up by calling the church office or messaging us in some way. Uh, share that with a friend, uh, family members, and uh, that thing is next Saturday. A uh, quarterly business meeting is next Sunday, and that'll be immediately following our morning worship service. We've been doing that in the fellowship hall with a covered dish meal, so bring something to share. Got some important business to discuss, and here's some updates from some teams. Uh, they've been working hard to get some things together next Sunday after church. And the fall festival's coming up on October 31st, so if you want to bring candy donations, that's great. Bring them to the office. If you just want to give money towards that so they can go buy candy, that's great, too. Uh, you can bring that by the church office or give online and just let us know what that's for. I was thinking this week in Romans chapter 10 about voices. And um, you'll be proud to know that I did a little bit of sports research because I've heard someone say someone was the voice of baseball. And I looked up, who is the voice of baseball? And it's Vin Scully. You hear that name, you hear that voice, you know that is the voice of baseball. Something more along my line of thinking is uh, someone like Clarence Nash, who was the voice of Donald Duck for over 40 to 50 years. One person, one voice, the only authorized voice of Donald Duck for decades upon decades. And you can think of many more, the voice of this, the voice of that, whatever it is. We think of iconic voices, the sound of their voice, the way they talk, their inflection, their rhythm, their cadence that captures something in us. It makes us pay attention and know them for what they do. Think about the, the voice of our parents. So recognizable. And you can hear even in a word what they mean by something that they might be thinking or feeling, whether that's soft or tender or loving, or whether you're in that situation as a child where you're about to find out something from your parents. That voice alone communicates something, and we hear something, whether it's love or Affection, familiarity, humor, or maybe a voice brings reminders of anger or sadness or trauma. This morning as we come to the preaching of the Word of God, I wonder if you know the voice of God. That's the eternal question, isn't it? Amongst all the voices and the voice of this and the voice of that, even the voice of our parents and our loved ones and our children, our family, our spouses... Do you know and have you heard the voice of God? It's a big, daunting, eternal question. Maybe mysterious, maybe unknown to you this morning, but I want to tell you good news. It is closer than you think. 
It is nearer than you think. As Paul picks up here in Romans 10, verse 5, we're reminded of themes that we've been through the past couple weeks. In Romans 9, God's sovereign election and what it means to be true Israel, to be real children of the promise through faith in Christ, accepting his promises. And that comes only by the call and the choice of God. We're reminded of last week as Brother Matt preached the end of chapter 9, the beginning of chapter 10, on the rock of Christ. And how Paul has been contrasting, ever since the beginning of Romans, he's been contrasting salvation by law or salvation by works with salvation by faith in Jesus alone. And Paul knows that we can be, unbelievers and believers alike, can be so blinded and so deafened by our attempts at self-righteousness and our attempts to earn God's favor by doing enough good things and earning our way to heaven, we can be so blinded and deafened by that that we can completely miss the voice of God calling us time and time again through the gospel. We even as believers can misunderstand how strangely ordinary that voice is. And so today as we see God's patience and God's kindness and God's mercy through his voice calling out to us, we see that the invitation to come to him is still open. If, unbeliever, you will hear the voice of God and respond. If, believers, you will hear the voice of God and respond. Let's begin reading in Romans chapter 10, verse 5. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what they have heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. But I ask that Israel not understand, for Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is bold as to say, I have been found by those who do not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hand to a disobedient and contrary people. This is God's inerrant, inspired, and infallible word. Thanks be to God. Number one today, your voice 
your confession. I want to revisit some themes that we've talked about as we've been going through Romans, as Paul does as he begins in verse 5. The question is, do you want to earn your righteousness? Is that how you think this works? Is that how you think you attain eternal life, you attain heaven? As the rich young ruler asked Jesus, teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you want to earn your righteousness? You want to work your way to heaven? There's certainly a way to do that. You might be shocked to hear me say that this morning. There is a way to work your way to heaven. There is a way to earn your righteousness. It's this simple, as Paul says in verse 5. The person who does the commandments shall live by them. So it's that simple. Keep the law. Obey the commandments perfectly. Obey the commandments of God without fail. And Paul is quoting here from Leviticus chapter 18, but he's also mentioned these themes earlier. Back in Romans chapter 2, verse 6, he said, you want to go to heaven? You want to have eternal life? Then it's this simple. Do good. Be patient. Endure. Do enough good works. Obey perfectly, and you will go to heaven. And then he comes back in verse 25 of Romans chapter 2. He says, circumcision is indeed of value if you obey the law. You want to do this thing that way, you can do it that way. We can certainly start there and try that. But there's a big problem, isn't there? You know where I'm going. If you start there, you have to finish there. If you start with the law, you have to obey it perfectly. And Paul tells us very clearly in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, No one seeks for God. None is righteous, no, not one. Verse 11, no one seeks for God. No one understands him. And then he comes back in verse 23 of chapter 3 and says what? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So if we want to earn our way to heaven, there's a way to do that. Obey the law perfectly. Problem is, you can't do that. And if you want to receive what you're owed and you want to earn something, Paul tells us what we've earned in chapter 6, verse 23. What we've earned, our wages for our sin is death. But that's where the good news of the gospel comes in today in Romans chapter 10, verse 6. Look at the first part of that verse. But the righteousness based on faith, there is another righteousness. Not a works righteousness, not a self-righteousness, not a righteousness that comes by obedience to the law. There is another righteousness that comes through faith. And Paul specifically says here at the end of verse 6 and verse 7, it is not what you do. Look what he says. Do not say in your hearts who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Paul specifically says this righteousness by this faith is not in what you can do. And quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 30 about all this ascending and descending, this is what Paul simply means by that. Christ has done the work already. Christ has come. Christ lived a sinless life. Christ has died. Christ was buried. Christ is risen. Christ is ascended. And Christ is coming. And the question Paul is asking here with this ascending and descending is, what can you add to that? If the work has already been done perfectly by Jesus Christ, who descended and ascended, 
If it's already been done perfectly by him, what makes you think you can bring anything into that to add to it? But that's what self-righteousness does. It says, yes, I see what Jesus has done. I understand the gospel. He came, he died, he rose again, he ascended, he's coming again. I believe that, but I, but I also believe I need to add something. I've got to chip in here too. And Paul says to do that is to negate the work of Christ. As if you were going to bring Christ down or if you were going to raise Christ from the dead. It doesn't depend on you. You didn't start it. You can't finish it because ultimately it is not up to you to accomplish anything to merit your salvation. Christ has finished the work. And Paul says in verse 8, well, what's there left for you to do? Paul says, what does it say? There's just a word. The word is near you, he says. In your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. And what is that word of faith according to verse 9? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus has done the work. What is there left for you to do? Nothing except respond in faith. And notice Paul puts those things together. He says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. We've seen this principle before, didn't we? Jesus, confronting the Pharisees, says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, in the case of the Pharisees, it was unbelief. And they were accusing Jesus of casting out Satan by the power of Satan. And Jesus says, okay, what just came out of your mouth is exactly what's in your heart. And it's unbelief and stubbornness and pride. But if you receive a new heart by the power of the Holy Spirit and the gift of faith and the gift of repentance is given by the sovereign grace of God and that heart is completely transformed, what cannot help but come out except this confession that Jesus Christ is Lord? And Paul's saying, you know, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead isn't to leave out any other parts of the gospel. Back in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, Paul says this is the gospel, that Jesus was offered up for our sins, and he was raised for our justification. So Paul saying, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, isn't just saying that one truth. It's the whole thing. Believe in the person and the work of Christ in your heart, and then confess that outwardly with your mouth. This is the confession of salvation, not God, this is what I have done. But God, I place my faith in what Christ has done. Dr. Sproul said, you always love my Sproul quotes, don't you? You probably get tired of them. But he just has a way of capturing it. Dr. R.C. Sproul said, we are saved by works. We are saved by works. Just not our works. We're saved by the perfect work of Christ. And it is in believing in that work and receiving that work by faith that this confession comes. Jesus Christ is Lord. And you might be sitting here today and you say, what? That isn't making it. I thought I'm supposed to be good. I thought I'm supposed to behave and obey the Ten Commandments and do the thing and check all the boxes. You mean to tell me this is not about me? 
that it's not my works, that it's not my righteousness. And I'm here to tell you this morning, that's absolutely what the gospel says. There is no checklist long enough and exhaustive enough that you can go through and check off to merit salvation for yourself. Except what has been done already for you through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And it is his righteousness, not yours, that saves you. And this is the message of the gospel. That's why it's such good news. That all that needs to be done is done. All the work that needed to be accomplished, Jesus has finished. What else did he mean by saying, it is finished, it is accomplished through his cross, through his resurrection? The question for you this morning is not what have you done, but have you received what has been done on your behalf? And having received it, have you confessed it with your voice? Jesus is Lord. Coming from a heart of faith, receiving all that he has done, have you confessed him as Lord? Lord, I admit that I am a sinner. I turn to you in repentance. I confess that Jesus is Lord. I believe in what he has done for me, and I receive it for myself. Have you made that confession with your voice? The good news of the gospel, Paul says, is that if you do that, if you receive what he has done, The perfect righteousness of Christ is counted as yours. And that's why he says it's near to you. It's in your mouth. The words are there. You are hearing it. I have given you the words. I love it when you talk with children sometimes. And twice a year, us pastors go down to the preschool and we read them a Christmas story at Christmas time. We read them an Easter story at Easter time. And, and Paula and Lizzie and, and Brittany can vouch for this. We ask them questions, and, and we can sit there and say the answer to them. If someone will just say, donkey, we'll move on. And they still will look at you like, what? just say donkey. Because we read a story about a donkey. That's not as random as it sounds. You can do that with children all day long, can't you? This is what the Bible does for us. Just believe And just confess. The words are there for you. Jesus is Lord. It's near to you. It's in your mouth with your voice. Believe, confess, and receive. Let's see what else Paul says here. Beginning in verse 10. God's voice. God's call. On the other side of your voice. And your calling to God. Is God's voice. Yes, justification comes by faith alone in Christ alone. But Paul says in verse 10 that that inner faith that saves automatically overflows in this external confession. Verse 10, for with the heart one believes and is justified. In the heart you believe and you're justified. And that overflows with the mouth of one confessing unto salvation. He says in verse 11, and the one who does this will not be put to shame. That kind of shame that Paul speaks of here is not talking about being embarrassed, uh, though that might be included. What he's talking about is that on the day of judgment, as we await God's final coming and God's final judgment, Paul says on that day, 
If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, there is nothing to fear of that day. Your confession of faith in Jesus and the anchor that you have in him will hold on the day of judgment and it will not leave you out to dry. You will not be ashamed on that day. You can stand with confidence on that day, not because of you, but through Jesus. That's what he means when he says, you will not be ashamed. And verse 12 says even something better. This is for Jews, it's for Greeks, and that's just Paul's shorthand of saying Gentiles. Doesn't matter who you are, or where you come from, or where you were born, or what you look like, or what language you speak. It does not matter. He says there is one Lord of this salvation for this one people. And then we come to that famous verse, verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you've done. You call on Jesus for salvation, turning from your sin, turning to him. With that word that is right there, Jesus is Lord. And with your heart believing the justification, you call out to him, Lord, save me. He will save you. Now I want us to stop here for a moment and notice something. Paul is quoting here from the book of Joel, chapter 2, verse 32. You can turn there with me if you want. It will be on the screen for you. Joel 2, 32. I think I quoted this a couple Wednesday nights ago, talking about our, our Jehovah's Witness friends and how Paul equates Jesus In verse 13, with Yahweh, he calls Jesus God very clearly because he's quoting from Joel chapter 2, verse 32. Let's look what Joel Joel says in Joel 2, 32. It shall come to pass, Joel says, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Notice Joel says capital L-O-R-D. That's the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And so for Paul to apply that to Jesus in Romans 10 is his unequivocal way of saying Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is God. But look at what else Joel says here. Everyone who calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. Joel, like... Many of the minor prophets is a prophecy of judgment. Israel has sinned. Israel has turned away from God. And God is promising judgment to them. But in line with that judgment also comes this promise of deliverance. And you see it there, don't you? Judgment is coming. But if you will call on the name of Yahweh, you will be saved. You will survive. You will be spared. And so the question Joel asks the people of Israel, maybe we ask you today, do you want to survive God's judgment? Paul says in Romans chapter 118 that this judgment is even now being revealed against unrighteousness and ungodliness. It is here now and it is coming in full. And if you want to be spared on that day of judgment, if you don't want to be ashamed on that day of judgment... Call on the name of the Lord to be saved. And Paul is saying to call on that name is to call on the name of Jesus. But notice what Joel says next in Joel 2.32. God says there will be survivors. God says there will be a remnant that is saved. 
But what does he say about that remnant? That they will be those whom God calls. Haven't we seen the same thing here in Romans, the past couple chapters? Yes, you must call on Jesus to be saved. Hear me clearly. And yes, anyone and everyone who calls on Jesus will be saved. But anyone who calls on Jesus does so because God has first called them. Back in chapter 9, verse 11, we saw this about Jacob and Esau. Before they'd done anything, there was nothing laid there for God to judge them on. There wasn't good or bad. He didn't put them in the scales and say, well, Jacob is just a better guy, so I'm going to choose him. No, Paul says, in order that God's choice might stand. Not because of works, but because of him who calls And then he says in verse 16 in chapter 9, then it's not of human will, and it's not of human exertion or energy or works, but it is God who shows mercy. You'll say, no, pastor, you don't understand. I believe the gospel because I heard and I understood what he was saying. I understood what they were saying to me. I understood the preacher, the teacher, my mom, my dad. I understood because I was so righteous. I was so good. I was so smart. The reason I'm saved and they're not saved is just because I'm better off. And I made the right decision. No, that is not why you're saved. You came to God and you called on him because he called you. And showed you mercy. And showed you compassion. Listen, and if it had not been for God's call, you never would have come. We sing this in our songs, don't we? You sing it with such a loud voice. If, if you had not loved me first, I would refuse you still. I was blinded by my sin. Had no ears to hear your voice. Did not know heaven's joys. Had no peace within until your spirit gave me life. See, on the other side of my call in faith is God's call by his spirit. Jesus lays this out clearly in John 6, 44, doesn't he? No one can. If you are looking at that, circle and underline the word can. It's not about will, it is about ability. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And in that drawing, there is that calling. And in that calling by the power of the Holy Spirit, there is the new birth given as a gift, not in response to what I do, but in order to enable what I do. This is what the Baptist Faith and Message 2000 says when it talks about the miracle of regeneration, the new birth, being born again, that it's not something I do to get. But the words of our confession say that God gives this by his own sovereign choice to which the sinner responds in faith and repentance. So that at the end of the day, I don't have myself or you to thank 
for my calling. I only have God to thank for my calling. But Paul's a smart guy. And he knows there might be some questions churning by now. And maybe one of those questions these people are asking, maybe you're asking, is this, so I do nothing? This whole thing just sounds automatic, and you're talking about God's sovereignty and predestination and God's will and God's work and God's call, so this is just automatic. It's on autopilot. God hit the button. We're just sitting back, and whatever happens, happens. Que sera, sera. What will be, will be. Paul says, no, that's not it at all. Verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed, and how are they to believe on him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach and bring good news. You see Paul's train of thought here? To be saved, you must believe in Christ. You must call on him. But in order to call on him, you must believe in him. And to have believed in him, you had to have heard about him. And to hear about him, someone must tell you about him. And that person must have been sent to you to proclaim that message to you. We talk about biblical trust and this word believe and faith. We're not just talking about the acknowledgement of something. You must acknowledge the facts of the gospel, absolutely. But we're talking about a heart trust. Not just believing that Jesus did these things, but placing your trust in in them, in his person and his work. And in order to do that, you must hear about his person and his work. And in order to hear, someone must go and someone must share that with you. You must hear about Christ by the voice of God. But notice that Paul says the proclaimers of this voice are you and me. We are the those that he mentions in verse 15, quoting from Isaiah, as Zane read earlier. How beautiful are the feet of those. That's you. You might say, my feet aren't beautiful. They might not be. But they are if they are shod with the gospel of peace and you're going to proclaim that good news to others. When I was in the Free Will Baptist denomination, they practiced feet washing. Every time there's communion, would y'all like to do this? Every time there's communion, there's feet washing. Maybe in the morning service you have the Lord's Supper, and in the evening service uh, the women would go one place, the men would go another place, and there was literal basins with water, and there was literal towels because they believed uh, that this was an ordinance just like the Lord's Supper and baptism, and they go together. And as odd as it sounds, it was quite a beautiful thing. But, you know, as men... I'm not going to speak to women because I was never in their little chamber. But men, when you get of a certain age, for some reason, your toenails start to kind of glaze over. And they start to turn colors and take on weird shapes. And 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 you get done washing each other's feet and there's stuff left in the basin. It's just nasty. It's awful. I understand. And God understands. Maybe that's the point of the whole thing, right? We understand that people's feet are not beautiful. They don't look beautiful. They don't smell beautiful. Certainly in the time of Isaiah and even Jesus and the disciples, it was even more true. And yet Isaiah says, by the Holy Spirit, how beautiful are the feet of those who run bringing the good news. The picture is that of a herald 
A herald that runs before the king to announce his coming. A herald that runs back to the city to announce the victory of the army. And that's what we are for the gospel, is heralds running to the city to announce that the king is coming. Running to the city to announce the victory that he has won. That is the beautiful feat of those that bring the good news of the gospel. And it's you and it's me. We call on God with our voice through faith in Christ, and we find salvation in him only as it is God who calls us inwardly by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that inward call by the Holy Spirit only comes as a result of the outward call of someone going and proclaiming the good news to you. This is the way it worked then. Look at verse 16. Isaiah says, they have not all obeyed the gospel. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. Isaiah knew what his charge was. Go, proclaim, open your mouth and speak it so that people can hear. It was true then. It's true now. Look at verse 17. So faith, what we need to be saved, comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Imagine you turned on the news at night. Whatever news you watch. You turn on, I should say Fox News, probably in our crowd. You turn on Fox News and you're, you're watching the, the show. And instead of someone sitting there delivering the news to you, this happened and this happened. Not that that's what news does anymore. But they pretend that they're doing that. They're reporting what happened. They're reading the story, the events. They're telling you with their mouths what happened. Imagine you turned on the news and you're trying to understand what happened, but instead of speaking to you, they're just uh, doing charades and just going about their daily lives. And they're just kind of hoping that by osmosis, you, you somehow capture what the news is. That's nonsense, isn't it? News is to be reported, is to be proclaimed. And yet you might have heard this quote before, preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. I don't know who came up with that, but it's garbage. You cannot preach the gospel without words. You cannot preach the gospel and share this good news without speaking. Words are absolutely necessary to hear, to believe, to call. And if we're going to hear God's voice, we must hear it in the voice of one speaking the good news to someone. You're hearing this now. As God's word is read and taught and preached, as the gospel is proclaimed, this is the voice of God calling and inviting and beckoning. So no, Paul says, it's not automatic. It's not just case, sarah, sarah, uh, fatalism. Just what will be, will be, and I don't have any part in this and you don't have any part in it. No, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, Paul says, this is God making his appeal through us. Don't miss that it's the voice of God. Don't miss that it's the power of God. Don't miss that it's the, the choice of God and the call of God and the mercy of God. But how does Paul say he chooses to do it? It is Paul, or God, making his appeal through us. My question for you today, believers, when did you hear God's voice? When did you hear his call in the good news of Jesus Christ. Who was that voice? Was it a parent? 
Was it a grandparent? Was it a pastor preaching, a Sunday school teacher teaching? Was it the teacher at vacation Bible school? Was it a voice on TV or the radio? Where and when did you hear that voice when the light bulb came on? And your eyes were open and your ears were open and you saw and you heard for the first time as God called you from within by the power of this Holy Spirit. And then you call on him with your voice to be saved. Maybe you don't know that call today. Maybe you're an unbeliever and you don't know that voice. You've heard the preaching, you've heard the teaching, you've heard this time and time and time again, but you've never responded. The good news this morning is that you're in the right place. Because every time we gather here, it is to proclaim this good news. And it is that good news that you are hearing today. Here it is. Receive that good news by faith. Call on Jesus now. Confess him as Lord now to be saved now. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, you know this, today, right now is the day of salvation. No more putting off. No more delaying. No more waiting. Right now is the favorable time. Lastly, we see our responsibility in God's patience. Yes, God is sovereign in salvation. Through these great truths of election and predestination and the call of God, we see that as we turn every page in the Bible. But we also see today that he chooses to use us to do it. God's sovereignty does not remove our responsibility to believe the gospel. God's sovereignty does not remove our responsibility to share the gospel. Paul in verses 18 through 20 strings together these quotes from Psalm 19. Look there in verse 18. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, the words to the ends of the world. You know that part from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above declares his handiwork. And Paul says, quoting from the Psalms, God's voice has gone out in creation and the glory that we see all around us. Then we see in verse 19, quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 32, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. That's God prophesying to his people, I'm going to make you jealous of these other nations that I'm going to bring into this whole thing. Jew, Greek, Gentile, everybody. And then in verse 20, he quotes Isaiah. I have been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. As Pastor Matt preached last week, these people were pursuing a righteousness. They didn't even know they're pursuing because it was God who was pursuing them. And so he strings this whole thing together from the Old Testament to tell us God's word has gone out. God's word is going out. But some will hear and they still won't believe. And I want to remind you, as we talked about the last two weeks, election might explain why anyone is saved. The call of God and the mercy of God, that explains why anyone is saved. But the only thing to blame for anyone being lost is their own unbelief. Tim Keller said in his commentary, God is sovereign. 
unequivocally. God is sovereign. But this is not an excuse for disobeying his summons to believe the gospel. And the good news for you here today, under the sound of my voice, is that the door is still open. Christ has not returned. The day of judgment thus far has not come. And so the invitation is still extended. You are hearing the gospel today. You are hearing the good news of the gospel today. The call, the summons, and the command for you is to believe today. There's an astounding mystery in Scripture here in regards to God's sovereignty and our responsibility. One study Bible I read said it this way. On the one hand, God predestines some to be saved. Period. On the other hand, God still longs for all to be saved. And Paul said this himself in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. Doesn't he? God desires that all should come to repentance. The word has gone out. The gospel is being proclaimed. People hear and they're commanded to repent and believe. But there will still be unbelief. But even in that unbelief, look at verse 21. All day long. I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. See the great patience of God holding out his hand, imploring, pleading. We sing that see on the portals. He's waiting and watching, watching. For you and for me. Watching and waiting for the disobedient and the contrary. Calling to you, come, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. And the question is for you today, will you hear? Will you obey? Will you call on him today? Christians, believers this morning, with this good news, you have this good news. You know it. You believe it. You confess it. The question for you, are you going? Are you proclaiming? It is your privilege, believer, to be the voice of God's patient, loving call to salvation. And so, believers, will you hear that call and will you obey his command to go with his power, to make disciples, to point people to Jesus, to teach them? That's not a command for some special class of Christians. That's not a command just for your pastors or the deacons or the Sunday school teachers or whoever. Keller says again, this passage leaves us with two stark truths. That every human being is responsible for how they treat the word of Christ. That is how you receive it to be saved. And every Christian is responsible for what you're doing to proclaim that word of Christ. To think this morning that God would be grieved over sinners who have hated him. 
those who have rebelled against him, those who are his enemies, that God would grieve over them. And in verse 21, hold out his hands in patience, imploring them to come, inviting them to come. Unbeliever, would you still refuse his gracious, gracious, patient offer of salvation? Believers, to think that God would choose to use us in this great plan, to choose to use redeemed sinners to extend his grace, to be his voice, and would you still refuse his command to go? The awesome truth this morning is that the voice of God in the gospel, I told you it was strangely ordinary. The voice of God in the gospel is you. The voice of God in the gospel is me. Those who know God's grace and patience firsthand, going to tell others about that grace and that patience. So the question for you believers here this morning is what are you doing with this awesome privilege? I know each of us in this room today can think of friends, family members, names and faces that are going through your mind and your heart like a slideshow right now who are lost. Coworkers, classmates, many people in this room today. You know them. You say, Pastor, I'm praying for them. I'm, I'm trying to live a good life in front of them. All that's wonderful and necessary. When's the last time you opened your mouth and shared the good news of Jesus with them and you told them the command is to repent and to believe? I want to challenge you as we end today singing, Lord, here am I, to let that be your prayer. That as we go from this place, understanding the sovereignty of God and understanding election and predestination, all those wonderful truths, but not letting that become an excuse for inactivity. Unbelievers to believe the gospel today and believers to share that gospel. Let that be a challenge to you as you go home. Maybe it's a phone call or a text or a visit or an email or a Zoom conversation or however you want to do it to talk to that person that came to your mind, those people that came to your mind and tell them once again with words the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ imploring them on God's behalf to be reconciled to God. God, we love you and we thank you for your call in the gospel. As we think about your sovereignty and your goodness in salvation, help us to never miss the fact that you've chosen to use us to do this. And so God, today, fill us with power, fill us with your goodness. Bring those lost people to mind even right now. Fill us with a desire and a love even today to share the good news with them once more. To look for opportunities this week and next week as time goes by in our classes, in our workplaces, wherever we are in our friends, uh, with our friends, with our family to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to understand that they cannot call if they've not believed and they cannot believe unless they hear. Remind us today that faith comes by hearing and then help us to be your voice in this world. 
We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.